So the first thing to, to do is to identify a market. Now everyone asks, what's the perfect market? You guys, we can Google like the perfect chapstick or the perfect headphones or the perfect Thai restaurant to take my boyfriend to, but there's no such thing as a perfect market. My interest rate back in the day was 3%. So we're talking really good numbers here, right? So my PITI is $2,017. I can rent a one bedroom long-term for $800. I can rent a one bedroom furnished medium term for $1,870. Hi, everybody. Uh, Jose Luis Morales here. Welcome back to another episode of the Morales Group Show. Today, we've got a very special guest. The name is Sarah Weaver. She is a real estate mentor, a real estate investor, a real estate entrepreneur. And today, she is going to be covering with us how to invest in midterm rentals. Now, for those of you that don't know what this topic is, we're going to talk about how to build relationships with insurance companies whenever clients have floods, fires. We're going to talk about how to build relationships with travel nurses as well, too. So when I got started in investing in real estate, I only thought there was one way to rent properties, which was the traditional long-term rental. There's multiple ways to go about skinning a cat. And this is one of them that I wanted to introduce our audience to and who better than uh, Sarah Weaver? So welcome to the show, Sarah. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. I'm really glad we're here to talk about my favorite investing strategy and the other investing strategies. I think that's a really good point. I think when you first get started, you think, okay, I'm just going to rent this house and be a landlord. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of ways to make money in real estate. I know. And just recently, we've kind of been analyzing our portfolio and saying, okay, like these are good for long-term tenants. These are good for mm -hmm. Section 8. These are good for Airbnb. And these are good for midterm rentals. So this is one of the topics that I'm most excited about. So for our viewers that don't know who you are, is who is Sarah Weaver and how did you get involved in this wonderful world of real estate investing? Yeah. So I am first and foremost, an entrepreneur and a traveler. I have mm. been fully nomadic for four years. Um, nomadic is just a fancy word for homeless by choice. And so my friends jokingly call me the homeless homeowner because I'm also a real estate investor. I own 19 units in four states and I do everything remotely, including analyze new deals, new markets, furnish them, self-manage, I do it all from anywhere in the world. Usually I am traveling because I put on epic adventures for real estate investors. So you can find me in uh, Patagonia in Chile or in Portugal or Italy. It really depends on the month. I love it. That is awesome. I had never heard the term nomadic, but I love it. I've actually thought about doing that myself from time to time. So for our viewers that don't know what a midterm rental is, do you mind kind of saying like, hey, look, what is the definition of a midterm rental? And then how does a midterm rental actually work? Absolutely. So I wrote the book on medium term rentals for bigger pockets with Ziana McIntyre. The book is called 30 Day Stay, a real estate investor's guide to mastering the medium term rental. So what is a MTR? It is a furnished rental, just like a short-term rental, but instead of having two night or three night stays, we only have 30 days or more. So typically my tenants are staying for 90 days. So three months, I get really excited when they extend. <laughs> and then not only does this allow for higher rental income than a long-term rental, but it's less turnover than an Airbnb. 
So for me, when I'm, you know, traveling the world as well as running my other businesses, my midterm rentals just take up less mind space. There's also less things that can go wrong basically with a midterm rental because there's less people moving in and out. So there's less coordinating. There's just less of everything. Now, when we say that you can charge a little bit more, like how much are we talking about? Are we talking about like certain percentage? Uh, are we talking about double what traditional rents would be? Is it higher than like an Airbnb? Is it similar? Like what, yeah. what are we talking about financially? Great question. So the rule of thumb is usually two times long-term rent, but just like any rule, rules are meant to be broken. So let me give you a real life example. So I own a one bedroom, one bath unit inside of a fourplex in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh -huh. Now, Jose Luis, if you told me that I would own Airbnbs in Omaha, I would be like, why? <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. So I bought this fourplex for 320000 My interest rate back in the day was 3%. So we're talking really good numbers here, right? So my PITI is $2,017, principal interest, taxes, interest, my monthly payment. Let's just call wow. it $2,000. I can rent a one bedroom long-term for $800. Mm -hmm. I can rent a one bedroom furnished medium term for 1875 Basically pays for your mortgage almost. <laughs> almost. Off and then I have one four minute. of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's funny. We have an 11 unit apartment in Port Wainimi, which is 0.7 miles from the beach. And originally when we underwrote it, we underwrote it as a just long-term rental. We have three of the units, Airbnb, the three units brought in uh, 4,000 uh, 4, each last month, uh, which it, uh, normally they would rent out for 1800. So also two times the amount of rent as well too in that situation. So it sounds great. How do I get started? <laughs> Great question. So the first thing to, to do is to identify a market. Now everyone asks, what's the perfect market? You guys, we can Google like the perfect chapstick or the perfect headphones or the perfect Thai restaurant to take my boyfriend to, but there's no such thing as a perfect market. It's going to depend on how much money you have or have access to your strategy. So what I recommend is choose what strategy you want to do. So I want to own small multifamilies with small units, like two bedroom or one bedroom units, and I wanna rent to travel nurses. So for me, I'm locating myself around large hospital complexes. So Sarah Weaver of 2020 Googled, where do traveling nurses go? Number one, Hawaii, because who doesn't wanna live in Hawaii? Number two, Omaha, Nebraska. Then I used the same metrics that I used to analyze a long-term rental, so I looked at population growth, job growth, rent rate um, increases, because I want to know that other landlords are increasing rent over time. I looked at crime rates. I want low crime. And then, of course, I want home values to go up. So I'm looking at those five metrics, which are the same five metrics that I'm looking at to analyze any market for a long-term rental. And then I got to shopping, and I, I choose to use investor-friendly agents. I, as I already mentioned, I'm nomadic, so I'm typically somewhere else in the world. And so I had to find investor-friendly agents that understood investing to go out and find me deals. That's awesome. I love it. Now, 
how do I actually like if I wanted uh, or before we get into the travel nurse thing is is travel nurses the only way for midterm rentals or what would be just for our viewers that maybe aren't familiar with midterm rentals? What are the different ways that you can do a midterm uh, rental? Great question. So what's so wonderful about this strategy is that I'm not necessarily going after just nurses. So what I do is I list my unit on Airbnb and Furnish Finder. Those are the two websites, furnishfinder.com and Airbnb, which everyone's familiar with. And when I list on those two sites, I can get anyone that's interested in staying somewhere for a month. So I've had someone going through a divorce, so he just needed to get out of the house today. <laughs> so he moved in while he kind of figured out his next step. I have hosted someone who was in town taking care of their ill mother, but didn't want to either live at the hospital or live at her place. So she needed mm -hmm. a furnished rental for months on end. I've also, I've also housed a couple who was renovating their kitchen. And so normally they would just live in chaos, but they both work from home and they have dogs. So they were like, listen, we got to move out of our house while we renovate our kitchen. So there's so many different people that could be renting. They could be construction workers, seasonal workers, people in town um, doing an internship, any type of travel medical professional, not just nurses. So I don't necessarily only rent to travel nurses. It just happens that I'm just strategically near a hospital. So that's one, one way to go about it. But then there's this whole other way you can approach medium-term rentals, which I highly recommend looking into. And it's looking after what are called insurance policy holders who are displaced from their homes. That's when you start talking big bucks. So for example, there is someone in San Francisco renting a single family home for $14,000 a month. Normally wow. on Airbnb, he was anywhere between like seven and nine if he was just doing the short-term rental strategy. And now he's getting 14,000 a month guaranteed for three months because it's a three-month lease. Wow. That's crazy. That's awesome. So, uh, and, and that's the one that I've been most curious about because I know that people go through fires, people go through floods, people have things happen in their home. And I know that these insurance companies ha need to place some of these people somewhere. I just didn't know how. So we're going to talk, we're going to talk about nurses and we'll also talk about the insurance as well too. Um, I wanted to ask for the midterm rentals, do they make more money than just a traditional Airbnb where there's like a one night or two nights night stay, or is it very similar? Cause whenever you said that there's a minimum requirement of 30 days, I would almost imagine that that would reduce the market uh, as well too. Would that be an accurate statement or are you just attracting a different type of person? Yeah, great question. So let's use my one unit as an example. Mm -hmm. You only need four guests a year who stay three months. So that's what I think a lot of investors get really caught up on is they're like, oh, how am I going to find all of these tenants? Well, you only need one every three months. And then 47% of my nurse tenants renew for another three months. So two of my units in 2022 were 100% occupied because I had a nurse tenant who renewed to six months. And then when she left, I did a same day turnover for another nurse. And I did that in two different units. My other seven units are at 97% occupancy because I usually have one to three days of vacancy. So just to give people some confidence about that. And then you asked a great question about short-term rental versus medium-term rental. It is going to completely depend on your market. 
So for example, we have a lot of people that bought cabins in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. That is not a great medium term rental market. You're always going to make more as a short term rental. Families are not going to stay for three months. They're going to go for a short period of time. My unit in Omaha during the College World Series, which happens to be in the summer in Omaha, Nebraska, I could net more than a travel nurse, but I also could not. So I had three of my seven units last summer running as short-term rentals. Two of them netted more than 1875, but one of them did not because of vacancy. And so for me, I have to know that it's a gamble if I'm going to go short-term rental. Those two that made more than 1875, I brought in $2,280. So let's just call it 2,200. For much. me, not worth the stress, not worth the stress. Maybe 23 year old Sarah, when she was investing, she would have been like, yeah, I need that extra $200. I need a little more peace in my life. I don't need $200, not right now. But if you guys, anyone, any listeners want to send me $200 for no reason, by all means. <laughs> Here's my Venmo account. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> How close to hospitals are we talking about? Like whenever you say like uh, in close proximity, are we talking about like within half a mile, a mile, five miles, 10 miles? Well, what, what is well you're used close? to traffic, but in Omaha, Nebraska, you can be 12 miles away and it takes 10 minutes to drive there. So okay. what I would do is I would focus on driving time. Most nurses, they're exhausted. They're doing a 12-hour shift. If they have a choice to have a 7 to 10-minute drive home over a 30-minute drive home, they're always going to choose you know, 15 minutes or under. You guys, it's not a perfect science. Like, please don't, please don't send your deals away if they're a 16-minute drive. Let's use our noggins and put yourself in the shoes of that nurse. If they're coming to the Midwest or the South, driving time is going to be significantly different than a really populated area with traffic. Um, I do think you just have to think who is my ideal client and how long are they going to want to drive? And what other options they have available to them as well too, right? Exactly. Like meaning like, like, is there an option that's like five minutes away versus the 10 minute away option? So ha do you do any of that research? Like what other options they have and how would you go about doing that research as to what, uh, what else is available for travel nurses or even yeah, travel nurses specifically? Absolutely. So yes, everything I do is research. You guys were investing like this is not monopoly. This is real money. So I'm heavily researching my competition. And then you'll be so pleasantly surprised if you travel to furnishfinder.com, you will see that there's less competition. There are not these beautiful, immaculate units like you're finding on Airbnb. There's just not as much competition in the MTR space that won't last forever. I'm mm -hmm. not naive. I, I mean, I didn't write a, a best-selling book for nothing. No, I'm just kidding. I do think All that right. people are catching on to this strategy because it's less headache and there's regulations in municipalities that are cracking down on STRs. So there's mm -hmm. going to eventually be an increased inventory because STRs will have to be forced into the MTR sphere. So with that being said, what I encourage you guys to do is be 10% better than your competition. I find a lot of investors think they need to be like way, way, way over improved than they need to be when it comes to the MTR space is very different than the STR space. 
if you're in short-term rentals, like you need the hot tubs and the foosball tables and the amazing outdoor space. Because if I'm paying this much for me and my family to stay in a home, it needs to fit all of my needs. Whereas for an MTR, I want it somewhere really cozy, especially if you're catering to traveling nurses, they're exhausted. At the end of a shift, they want to be safe and comfortable and they want to sleep well. I love it. Now, um, how would we go about like, uh, I know that we talked about furnish finder. Um, maybe uh, I know that you market there. Are there any different ways to target travel nurses besides furnish finder and the Airbnb? And if so, what would some of those other ways, uh, be to, to, to tar to target them? Absolutely. So you can work as hard as you want to. Um, I want that to be really clear that this is not the most passive way to invest. The most passive ways, syndications, maybe after that is long-term rentals using property managers. But if you really want to reach out to nurses, it's going to take time. And so here's what I, I do. I should say what I did because now someone on my team does it for me. But I'm messaging in every travel nurse Facebook groups. There's quite a few. And I'm posting my units there. The other thing that I think is really important, like if anyone's going to listen to anything in this episode, it's listen to this. On Furnish Finder, this is simply a listing site. This is not a booking site or an OTA like Airbnb. What you need to do is you need to actively reach out to those leads. And so I'm in Furnish Finder or someone on my team is in Furnish Finder every day, updating the title, changing around photos, messing with the listing description to keep my listing at the top of the search. And then when someone in, clicks that they're interested, you have to actively reach out to them. So this takes time. So if that's not what you guys are interested in doing, invest in a syndication or long-term rentals. But if you want increased cash flow in 2023 to combat 7% interest rates, this is a fantastic strategy. And it just takes a little more admin time. Yeah. I think part of understanding the, the uh, travel nursing strategy is understanding your avatar, which your avatar is like a travel nurse. So do you mind elaborating a little bit on that? Like how long do these travel nurses stay for in a location? Do they travel to multiple different places a year, like Hawaii, Nebraska, um, just a little bit about them. I, cause I actually am not familiar with how often are they traveling or any of that. Do you mind elaborating a little bit on that? Yeah, absolutely. And what's so fun about this is that I met travel nurses while I've been traveling. So I've known about this phenomenon for over a decade. I actually ended up dating a, a guy who was applying for nurse uh, to go to nurse school. And in my mind, I'm like, this is going to be amazing. He's going to be a travel nurse. I work remotely. I'm just going to follow him around. And so you're exactly right. They go from assignment to assignment. And then one thing that I, I notice is that they'll take a few assignments back to back and then they'll not take an assignment for two to three months. And then that's where I would meet them. And, you know, I met a I met at least 20 when I was backpacking Colombia. And so, so many travel nurses like will take a break, but for the most part, yeah, they are driving their cars from these locations and they're taking three month contract or 13 weeks. That's how long they are. In my case, 47% of them extend to six months. I don't know why people want to stay in Omaha so long, but I sure am grateful that they do. And then they'll go take another assignment somewhere else across the country. One of my favorite investors, her Instagram handle is no coast investing her mm -hmm. and her husband were travel nurses. 
and they bought an RV and they pulled their car and they would go from assignment to assignment living in their RV. And so they made a lifestyle of it for a few years and the money is insane. So let me take an example. In Kansas City, a staff nurse might make about $36 an hour. Same exact position with less responsibility, frankly, um, and definitely less seniority. As a travel nurse, you'll make about one eighteen an hour. Now, are they typically going to hospitals? Or are they going to like people's homes, or it, it, they're going to hospitals, right? Well, all that's what I had. That's what I had assumed at first. But one of my mm. tenants just told me last week, actually, that he's been getting um, like random shifts as well on the side at nursing homes, at schools, all different sorts of things. But his his regular job is, yes, a, a travel nurse assignment inside of a hospital. Are there companies that specialize in placing some of these travel nurses in locations? Yes, they are called travel nurse recruiters, and I highly recommend building relationships with them. Full transparency, I don't do this because I'm fully occupied by just simply listing on Airbnb and reaching out to people on Furnish Finder. This time last year, so around the beginning of 2022, I was heavily booked through Furnish Finder. But about six months ago, Airbnb started taking the lead as my best lead source. You guys, I love Airbnb. I mean, I get a notification on my phone. I don't have to do references. I don't have to write up a lease. It is the lazy girl way to renting my MTR. And it's worked really well for me. Awesome. I love it. I love it. Now, when you say reaching out to people, like, what is that like? Uh, it just means like they send you a message and you just, uh, do you put them in like a specific database where you're like nurturing these people, marketing your rentals to, or is that just like way too complicated? So I had started doing that when I very first got started. Um, like any investor, you know, I'm like, I have to be, you know, fully occupied. I want to get the most amount of rent. So I started doing that. And what had happened is that I was so good at being booked through Furnish Finder and Airbnb that the recruiters were annoyed with me because anytime they would call to say, hey, do you have a unit? Hey, do you have a unit? I was fully booked. And so I took my foot off the gas. However, if you're struggling to get booked, that is absolutely what I would do. So the best way to do this is when you have a nurse come in is I would ask them for the recruiter's number to verify employment and you should verify their employment. But secondly, you're building a relationship with that recruiter so that they can also be a lead source for tenants. And the same concept goes for the insurance placements. So you should be building relationships with these insurance companies that place displaced policyholders. And this is, I mean, at this point you're talking B2B, like you are running a business and reaching out to other businesses. This is going to take time and it's going to take sales skills, but the payout might be really worth it. What, what, what do you think besides the, I, I, and I think that this is what you did really well, is I think that you were very strategic as to which markets to pick specifically for travel nurses. So it wasn't like, hey, look, this used to be my primary residence. I moved out. Let me turn it into a travel uh, nurse uh uh a agency. It's almost like, hey, look, where do travel nurses go? If somebody wasn't as um, thoughtful, or maybe they already own a rental, what do you think would be the 
other things that they can do to really increase the chances of them getting booked? Does it have more or less to how cozy the unit feels or is it more or less how close to the hospital are they? So it's really interesting. I have friends who own MTRs and they haven't housed one nurse. So you might be surprised all of the different reasons that people come to your area. So for example, a friend of mine, Sylvia, she owns a duplex in Waco, Texas. She primarily rents to construction workers. That wasn't intentional. She didn't know that she owned a duplex next to a commercial construction site that had a lot of seasonal workers, but that's exactly what it is. The, the same thing's true with another friend of mine, uh, Diana. She owns a duplex and she has housed very random professions, but not one nurse. And so you may just never know who it's going to be. And that's not a great way to invest. I'm not going to say, oh yeah, just try it because it does cost money to furnish your unit. But frankly, that's what I, I did is I bought a small multifamily. I furnished one or two of the units. And then I sat and I, I did research. And then I slowly turned an entire building over. And then I bought the building next door and I did the same thing. And that's in Omaha. Then in Des Moines, I now own four duplexes and just a few of the units inside those duplexes are furnished rentals. And yeah. then I run the others as long-term rentals. Yeah, it's funny because we're turning, I think, three of our, two of our other units into short-term rentals as well too because the tenants moved out. And then another, in all one building, which is 11 units. Now, um, I know that for Airbnbs, people go like on AirDNA to do some research. What are the websites that if somebody's looking to do um, research on, what websites um, or what platforms do they need to be familiar with to do some of the research? Absolutely. So I do look at AirDNA. I keep in mind that that is short-term rent, but I want that information when I'm making an investment decision. Then you want to go to furnishfinder.com forward slash stats, S-T-A-T-S. And then the second part of that process is you want to visit furnishfinder.com and look at it as if you were a tenant and gather information that way. Unfortunately, we don't have a great um, data set from FurnishFinder yet. I think Brian, the CEO, knows that he's sitting on a gold mine of data. But the problem is, is that Airbnb is a booking site. So we can see that unit 123 Main Street was booked 43% at $73 average night per stay, uh, average stay per night. But we don't have that information on Furnish Finder because it's a listing site. So if you go to Furnish Finder, for example, right now, you're only going to see one of my listings in Omaha because I only list one of the units. And then I gather all my leads for all seven units with that one listing. And it always looks like it's available. So if you went to look in Omaha right now, you'd be like, wow, this landlord sucks. Her unit's always vacant. The reality is actually it's always occupied. I just don't update it on the website because I want to generate leads for all seven units. That is brilliant. Now, are you strategic as to which one you put on there? Like meaning like, do you put like the nicest one? Do you put the one with the, like the, that stage the best? Louise, all of my units are nice. I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> um, actually what we do, we are strategic. We, we swap them out. So every time you update the listing, it's helping you get higher in the, in the site. And so I'm actually switching out the photos all the time. It happens that all seven of my units are the exact same floor plan. They are all decorated differently. They're all decorated, I think, very well. 
Um, I personally, of course, have a couple favorites, um, but but we're just switching those photos out um, periodically to stay up to date. And then this is very important. We tell the nurse before they book what unit they're booking. So we want no surprises. How do you how do you decorate a house for nurses and how do you make them more cozy and comfortable? Great question. So I actually own a company that does this for investors because I got asked this all the time. People were asking, can you just furnish mine? I live in California. I'm buying in Ohio. So you can actually hire my company. We will analyze your unit for you to let you know what the numbers are going to be and should you furnish it. Then if you do decide to furnish it, we can furnish it for you. And some of the tips, if you are going to do it on your own, what I highly recommend is think like your tenant. So if you're a displaced family of four that just had your house burned down or flood and you're moving into a furnished rental, what are the things that you're going to want? You're going to want a great place to gather. You're going to want a great kitchen with everything that would have been in your own kitchen, right? Think of the comforts that you're going to need when you're living somewhere for three to five months while dealing with the insurance company to get your primary home back. Um, same thing with nurses um, or any like seasonal worker. If you're working a 10 to 12 hour shift, what do you want when you come home? You want blackout curtains. You want comfortable furniture. None of this Ikea stuff, nothing that you sit down and you're like, wow, this is very uncomfortable. Don't do that to your guests because imagine you're living somewhere for three months. You want to be able to put your feet up. You want to feel like you live there and then you want a good night's sleep. So great bed, great bedding with blackout curtains and maybe even a sound machine. That's awesome. That's so maybe like even like coffee, coffee, like a coffee maker, that sort of Coffee's like almost about, like I'm actually, I'm a coffee snob. If not all of my units, if in case any of my tenants are ever listening, but most of my units have the Keurig, the French press and the mocha like stovetop because I, I lived in Italy. So I'm a snob when it comes to coffee. I love it. Okay, cool. Um, what do you think like if it wasn't with your company and somebody wanted to furnish a, a, a midterm rental, what do you think like in terms of cost that would run an individual like aside from like consulting costs or anything like that? Like are we looking like are there any rules of thumb like are there specific websites that sell furniture for better prices? Are there certain types of furniture that fit best? What would you say would be uh, best? Absolutely. So it is going to depend very much on the on the part of the country that you're in when it comes to pricing. But for a, a quick rule of thumb, a one bedroom, and you guys, these are not flashy, but they are beautiful. Like for example, I have a $200 coffee table book budget, right? Because we want those little touches that make it really beautiful. Um, but for a typical one bedroom, one bath, that's not going to be super flashy. I'm spending anywhere between 6,800 to 8,300. And then what are, I know that you said you had a, a 200 uh, budget for a coffee table. Like what were, what would some of these other like rules of thumbs be like thousand bucks for 500 bucks for per bed, uh, like, yeah. uh, like uh, toilet, I'm kidding, toilet paper, uh, <laughs> 20 bucks. Yep. So um, all of the, all of the insides of your kitchen. So everything that's going to go inside the cabinets, a thousand dollars. And again, that that's not your A-class four-bedroom house that you're going to have displaced insurance clients because they might need a $800 espresso maker and a blender and an air fryer and all these things. But your mm -hmm. basic MTR is going to cost $1,000. 
to stock the kitchen with supplies, about $500 per bathroom. Um, I do $1,800 per bedroom, depending on how many windows you have. If you have five windows, cha-ching, that's a lot of blackout curtains in each bedroom, for example. If you're completely hardwood, you're going to need rugs throughout. If you don't have it, if it's all carpeted in the bedrooms, well, then you don't need a rug. Um, your living room, we're looking at 2500 again, depending on window treatments and rugs and how big it is. If you're needing a sectional and, you know, five other chairs, that costs money. But again, your very typical one bedroom, one bath is what we're talking about. And then outdoor furniture is expensive. You're looking at anywhere between two to $5,000. And then we always have a miscellaneous 300 to $500 for all of those little things that you don't think about. Like you need to have cleaning supplies left for them because you got to cross your fingers and pray that they clean while, while they're there. Otherwise, you're going to have a mess on your hands at the end of three months. Um, so there's lots of things you need to be thinking about. And unfortunately, inflation hit furniture about 26% last year in 2022. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I love it. So let's transition over to uh, flood and fire. So if somebody wanted to build a business model around midterm rentals and flood, fire, or insurance companies, who would they be uh, contacting? Is it also Furnish Finder in that sense? Or would it be, uh, are there different, uh, more aggressive ways to maybe uh, grow it? So if you're wanting to focus on insurance claims, you need to go direct to the insurance companies and relocation companies. There's two that I can recommend, AL Solutions, A-L-E Solutions, and then corporate housing. And you can build relationships with them. You can make profiles with them. And then I would go the extra step and I would reach out to insurance companies in your area. You should be knowing who's in charge of that office and you want your property to be on their list. And who's the point of contact? Like if we're reaching out to insurance companies, is it insurance adjusters? Is it the insurance broker? Who's the person that we want to talk to? So every company is going to be structured a little bit different. What I recommend doing is hopping on the phone, using your good salesperson skills, and you say, okay, Jose Luis, I don't know who I'm supposed to be talking to, but you seem like the right person that could point me in the right direction. Is that you? Yeah, of course it's me. <laughs> I thought so, Jose Luis. You, you have a wonderful phone voice. I love it. I love it. Okay, cool. So basically it's going to be different at every company. Why wouldn't the insurance companies just go on Airbnb or do they go on Airbnb and just basically find rentals for people that way? That's a great question. I think for them, knowing that you are someone that they can trust and they can trust you time and time again, and you're going to cost less than Airbnb because they're not paying all of the Airbnb fees. And then they likely want to write up a contract with you directly, the landlord or the, or the host. And so I'm not to say that they're not going on Airbnb, but if they can just pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, I have a family, they need a place, do you have anything? They're likely going to do that. You know, it's funny when I was renting a property that I own in a place called Simi Valley, I had one of those companies reach out to me um, and they were like, you're, I'm willing to pay you 3000, which I think I was only asking like $2,500. And I was like, oh my God, 
Like they're willing to pay me $500 more. The only thing is I was doing something called an accessory dwelling unit and they wanted the garage. And the reason I was charging less is because I wanted uh, the garage. Now, whenever you're building relationships with these companies, are they like trying to negotiate with you? Um, do is Are there rules of thumbs as to how much you can actually charge? Like how do you know how much to charge uh, with one of these uh, companies? I think it's really interesting. I'm finding that most of them are offering more than what you're asking for because it's cheaper than them putting this family in a hotel. So, so for that's example, the that's the alternative, a hotel. And then most of the families aren't going to want to be in a hotel because there's no kitchen. It's not cozy or well, as you, comfortable. I mean, if you have kids under the age of 11, you don't want them in a different hotel room. Um, that's not, that doesn't seem safe or, or, or mm. help your family rebuild after, you know, you've lost all of your belongings. Um, that's just not a good feeling for a family. Um, and then exactly, even if you don't have children, I'm not a huge fan of cooking, but I, but I do it because that's only the way to live. Right. And so I don't want to live in a hotel months on end. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, cool. Anything else that you think that we should know about like insurance companies or anything else that you think that if somebody's looking to build a business around it, that they, they should uh, uh, be aware of? I think at the beginning, you're going to put in seven to 15 hours of work. So I don't want investors. I, what I find often happens, Jose Luis, is that someone comes to me and they say, okay, Sarah, like I want to invest in real estate because I want to spend more time with my wife and kids. Well, mm -hmm. then I don't think that the strategy aligns with your goals at the beginning. And so just make sure that you're willing to put in the work to make it a huge success. This is not the most passive way to invest. But it does bring in like higher returns as well, too, because for me, uh, the way that I was looking at it was just all long term tenants. So what we started doing this year is we started analyzing our portfolio and said, OK, look, we've got 57 units in California. Like are all of the units rented closer to their full capacity, like mm -hmm. meaning like if traditional rents are twenty five hundred, if I can make five thousand dollars, I didn't have to go buy another 20, 30 units. I simply optimize my real estate portfolio to increase the cash flow now it gives you more money to go out and invest in more or go out and buy more uh, properties as well too. And, and I hope everyone heard what you said. You are analyzing your current portfolio. I think so many investors are moving forward, forward, forward that they don't stop and properly stabilize and analyze their current portfolio. So make sure the properties that are still in your portfolio are serving you. For a lot of investors, they have so much equity in some of their properties that could be better deployed somewhere else. And so I applaud you for taking a look at your portfolio. Yeah, that, that was one of the things that we did really well. We're like, okay, like, and it was funny because I forgot where I heard about Airbnbs and I'm like, oh, why don't we try one Airbnb there? And then it rented for double the amount that I was receiving. I'm like, huh, where else am I not like maximizing the rent and providing value? So this all sounds great. What are the biggest challenges that people face or what are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when, um, when do, doing midterm rentals? I think the biggest mistake is to list on Furnish Finder and then not do anything. So we, I have so many people saying, I listed on Furnish Finder like three weeks ago. I'm not getting any bites. And mm -hmm. I just like, I mean, my eyes get as big as ping pong balls. I'm like, well, you have to, you have to do the work. 
Like you should be reaching out to nurse recruiters, posting on Facebook groups, posting on Facebook marketplace, list on Zillow, list on Craigslist, and then reach out to all the leads on Furnish Finder. And I update my listings every week. Yeah. Now, what about regulations? Are you, uh, do you have, uh, do you recommend that people look into regulations? Do regulations change as it relates to midterm rentals as much as Airbnb? Are you allowed to do it in HOA communities? Does it depend on the HOA community? Great question. So one of the reasons I love the medium term rental strategy is that municipalities are typically restricting anything less than 30 days. And pay attention to my wording, typically, this does not speak for every community. And definitely if you're in an HOA, a homeowners association, that could limit your ability to rent an MTR. So it's very important that you stay on top of what's happening in your community. If you know that you're committing to one to two markets, I highly recommend that you are reading their local newspaper. You have a Google alert for any type of like short, short term lodging regulations or any type of housing regulations that are going to change. And if you're local to the community, go to your city council meetings, make sure that you are represented because there's a lot of other homeowners out there that probably don't want you renting your furnished rental. And you need to make sure that you're taking good care of your investments. Agreed. Now, as it relates to buying the midterm rentals, are there any financing restrictions that you run into or like whenever you try to refinance the property? Um, also for insurance for midterm rentals, is that different, the insurance, than it would for a long-term rental? And are there any uh, insurance providers that would be better suited for midterm rentals? Yeah, great question. So let's talk about insurance first. It is going to greatly depend on where you are. So I'm always nervous about you Californians. I don't want to give any legal advice. So I want to make it very clear. I am not a CPA or an attorney. I just play one on TV. So check with your insurance broker and be very honest about what you're doing. Because I have other investors who just thought it was best to be shush shush about what they were doing. Of course, something terrible happened to their unit. And then they weren't being reimbursed for lost potential income or earnings. So if you have a furnished rental, make sure that not only the, the belongings inside of the unit are insured, but if something happens and you're out the income, for example, mine, I don't wanna be reimbursed at $800 a unit, which is the long-term rent. I wanna be reimbursed at 1875 because that's my medium-term rent. So your insurance broker should be your buddy. Like I literally have Doug on speed dial because I'm calling him every time I add a property or change it into a furnished rental or fall and break my arm in Guatemala, which just recently happened. So Doug and I are like this, okay? You should be the same with your insurance broker. If you're not, please do that. If you prefer a nationwide company, I really like Steadily. Highly recommend them. If you head to my website, the information is there to find them. Very, very, very helpful and will save you money. And then you asked, you asked about insurance and you asked about, what was the other question? Uh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot to. <laughs> it's all good. Um, yeah, I think that was the main thing. I think it was the uh, insurance, like if that, um, if that uh, varies. And it's funny because I just interviewed a insurance uh, person that specializes on investment properties. And we kind of covered the importance of letting them know um, the fact that 
it is a short term or midterm or whatever it is. Any final thoughts as it relates to midterm rentals? If somebody's considering doing a midterm rental, any final closing words that you think would be helpful for people? Yeah. The moment I decided to furnish a few of my rentals is the moment that I took complete control of my finances. I was able to quit my job and focus on what I wanted, which was to build businesses. And so now I have Aria Design Services that furnishes Airbnbs. I have Invested Adventures where I take investors on epic adventures around the world. And I have my own coaching program. And so if you've been thinking about owning a furnished rental, like this is your permission slip to write to yourself. Yes, own a furnished rental. I love it. Now, if people wanted to get a hold of you or one of your companies, uh, company website, what is the best way for them to be able to get a hold of you? Absolutely. If they go to sarahdweaver.com or they can reach me on Instagram, my handle is also sarahdweaver. And if they want to Venmo me, it's also Sarah D. Weaver. <laughs> That's so funny. Sarah, I have enjoyed this conversation. It was extremely helpful. I see myself doing more midterm rentals, short-term rentals, uh, just because it, it it's a good way to add some additional cash flow and also provide value to individuals. For our viewers out there, um, if you have enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit the subscribe button. Make sure to hit the share button. Uh, once again, Jose Luis Morales with the Morales Group. We had Sarah D. Weaver on how to invest in midterm rentals. And we covered um, travel nurses as well as insurance midterm rentals. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. And thank you, Sarah, for being an awesome, awesome guest.